Well, hello, Abundant Life. It is wonderful to be with you today. My name is Mike, and it is such an honor to be on this journey with you and this season with you. We are in the middle of a series. It's called Hidden Treasures, and it's about the parables, the stories that Jesus told. And I'll start today with a story. Uh, Many years ago, when I moved from Southern California up to Seattle, I drove a 79 Suburban, and it had no heater. Now, mostly I think a car is perfect if it gets me from point A to point B, but now I'm convinced the heater is also essential. Because one night, that first winter, I walk out from my office, it's late at night, and I find that the entire truck is iced over. So I try to open the driver's side door, and it will not open. The, the door is frozen shut. Frozen shut. To me, that sounds like the title of a horror movie. So then I walk around the car to the passenger door, and I open up the passenger door, and the handle comes off in my hand. It just breaks off. And so now, the passenger door is yawning open, but it will not stay closed. So I'm in a great mood. And then I noticed, of course, that the windshield is iced over. It's impossible to see through. And I had a cup of coffee in my hands because I knew it was going to be a cold drive home. And so that coffee was designed to warm my fingers on the ride. So I decided, since I can't see through the windshield, I'm going to pour the coffee on my windshield to melt the ice. And <laughs> this is not a good plan. So I, I pour the coffee on the windshield, and instantly what happens is all of the coffee simply freezes into a brown sheet of ice. Now, it's absolutely impossible to see through. I've since learned that there's actually even a worse thing that can happen when you pour scalding liquid on a frozen sheet of glass. Thankfully, that didn't happen to me in that moment. So I didn't know what to do. I climb into the, the driver's seat. And I loop the, the, the loop of my backpack around the passenger side door, and I begin to drive with one hand holding the passenger door closed, the other hand on the steering wheel, and my head out of the driver's window. And, and it's because I can't see through the windshield because it is frozen solid, frozen like my fingers, frozen like my face becomes, frozen like my eyeballs are becoming as they bleed little rivers of salt joy down and form icicles on my chin. And, and friends, the moral of this true story, the moral of it all is never, ever, just never, ever, don't ever move to Seattle. Actually, I don't know if there's a moral. Maybe there is no moral. The reason why I start with a story, though, is because stories are infinitely more memorable than any other form of narrative, any other form of teaching or didactic. And this is why all of the great teachers throughout every century, throughout all of human history, the greatest teachers have always used story. They've always used these kinds of devices. And the stories that Jesus told are called parables. These are earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. And, and Pastor David Grigg, he launched our series last week. He started us in on this, did such a great job of getting us into this topic. But look what it says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. Look at this. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. In other words, it was absolutely a method, a device that he used again and again and again. And there's a reason for it. 
It's because these kind of stories allow us to use our sanctified imagination and to find ourselves within each tale. And they're way more memorable than truth statements. And and this is one of the reasons why Jesus always used them because the people that he was talking to, they would walk away thinking about that story. They They would walk away talking about it and it would go with them and they'd be thinking about it and remembering that story all the days of their lives. In fact, it's one of the reasons why 2,000 years later we're still talking about the stories that Jesus told. Tim Mackey says it this way. He says, these stories have a way of sticking in your mind and in your heart. So you find yourself thinking about them two days later after you heard them or wake you up in the middle of the night thinking about them. You see, it not only gives us great insight into the first century world in which they were told, but it also allows us to discover some hidden treasure if we'll take the time to dig a bit. And so as we walk through this series, each week we'll talk about a different parable, and I want you to allow it to challenge you. I, I want you to dig around a little bit and to ask yourself the question, what truth do I need to receive from this today? How do I need to put this into practice in my life? And you see, we're using these stories that Jesus told as a way to prepare us as we walk toward the most powerful story ever told, the story that Jesus tells with his life, death, burial, and resurrection, the story we celebrate at Easter. But today, we're talking about the parable of the sower, also known as the parable of the soils. And there's a case to be made for both of these titles because they both indicate a certain perspective on this parable that Jesus tells. And so let's begin with the story that Jesus told. This is in Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. Uh, If you want, open your Bible. You can find it and follow along. It says, one day, Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. A farmer went out to plant his seed. As he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among the rocks. It began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up with it and choked it out or choked out the tender plants. Still other seed fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. When he said this, he called out, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now, this is a, a, a story, it's a farming story told in an agricultural society. It was an agrarian society in first century New Testament times. And so these were common practices that virtually everyone would be familiar with. The question today is a little different. How many of you are, are farmers? You know, not many hands, maybe just a few at the Sandy campus. Uh, anyway, the, the second question is how many of you are good listeners? You know, Jesus says anyone with with ears to hear needs to listen and to understand. How often are we listening in order to understand? You know, so often what we do is we listen to solve. We listen to respond. And there is this challenge that Jesus is inviting us to. He's saying, no, no, we need to actually listen to understand. We need to listen for the deeper truth and and the meaning that's, that's underneath the words that are spoken. 
And you know that in this situation and in many others, the disciples actually had no idea what he was talking about. They needed him to further unpack what the meaning was. They weren't able to listen and understand. And it kind of brings up a question. Was this truth veiled? Like, did this truth, was Jesus kind of concealing something from people? And I always think that's an interesting question because what I recognize is that the truth of God's love and grace of his word and presence, it's available to anybody who's sincerely seeking, who, who's genuinely inquiring about what it is that God has for us. But you know as well as I do, the issue is not so much that it's hidden, but it's that we might not be focusing on the right things. Because friends, I hope you understand that what we focus on determines what we see. Let me say that again. What we focus on determines what we see. And so in order to illustrate this, I've actually found an exercise I want to invite you to do. It'll be uh, on the screen in the form of a video. It's a counting exercise. So go ahead and participate with this. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? You see, isn't that great? And it illustrates the point that meaning is available for those of us who have the eyes to see, for those of us who have ears to listen, who are actually looking for what it is that Jesus was saying. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard a a pastor preaching a sermon and you just had no idea what it was about. Uh, Maybe some of you feel like that right now. I I, I want you to know that there's this old saying, if it's a a mist in the pulpit, it's a fog in the pew. And I understand that. And so I want to bring clarity to what it is that Jesus is teaching us, what it is that he's communicating through this parable. So let's jump in. The first is that the parable of the soils asks the question, what soil are you? This is what the parable of the soils asks, which soil are you? You. And so if you view it from this perspective, this is kind of the human perspective. This is viewing it from sort of the ground uh, level, uh, pun intended there. And this is what Jesus says. He said, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. So if you're taking notes, the truth here is that the footpath equals heard, but not heeded. It equals hearing, but not hearting. And and the footpath, of course, would have been hard packed dirt because it would have been walked upon and, and pushed down, you know, made packed tight. And so the seeds wouldn't be able to penetrate 
into it. Therefore, they'd just be lying in the sun, food for birds. And Jesus is saying, you know, some of our hearts are like that. They're hard packed. They're they're not soft or receptive. And so the truth of God's love, the truth of his word, it just stays there. It doesn't penetrate in. And the enemy comes and snatches it away. The next soil is the rocky soil, and this represents joy, but not depth. The rocks represent joy, but not depth. Jesus says in Luke chapter 8, verse 13, the seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. So this is no roots. They don't go down deep. The plant then is not well established and there's no moisture. And so the seed won't continue to grow and flourish. It'll be shallow and therefore, uh, you know, susceptible to temptation. And And hearts can be like that as well. And Abundant Life, I want to tell you, this is why as a church, we do a thing called Rooted. Because we desire for our faith to have roots that grow down deep. We we desire to be really well established in our relationship of love with Jesus Christ. And to develop that faith very securely. So by the way, our rooted uh, classes are actually starting today. If you have not jumped into that, if you've not walked that road, please, please take a moment and, 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 and decide, hey, this might be a season for me to jump in and to walk this road of becoming rooted. We don't want to be the shallow soil. We want our roots to grow down deep. The next is the thorny soil, and the thorns equal the concerns of this world. The concerns of the world. Jesus says, the seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. The cares, the riches, the pleasures of this life. You might also just write down the word distraction, distraction, distraction. Because the reality is that there's just so much going on in these lives and in these hearts that that a, a focus upon a relationship of love with God, it just gets crowded out. You know, this is one of the reasons why it's really hard to tend blackberry vines. Right, blackberries are wonderful. I love them, love to harvest them, but you don't plant a garden and then try to put blackberry vines in a little corner of the garden. Because the moment you do that, those blackberry vines just begin to come and crowd out all of the rest of what you've got going on. And Jesus is saying, that's what happens here, right? It crowds out what it is that God's doing, the work that God's doing to grow us into maturity. And then the last soil is the fertile soil. And the fertile soil represents God's kingdom multiplication. It represents this beautiful harvest that God is, is you know, seeking as he grows up those who are well-rooted and established in him. Jesus says, and the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. It grew a big, big crop. It was a hundred times more that was planted, Jesus said. This is huge ROI, return on investment here. It's another picture of the bountiful nature of the kingdom of God. Now, I want to issue a loving warning here. Because I know the tendency, and the tendency is, as we read through a parable like this, we just naturally assume, it's like a a psychological default, we assume that we represent the good soil. 
We just throw ourselves in that category. Oh, that's my heart. My heart's good. I'm a good-hearted person. My heart's that receptive, fertile soil. I just want you to know it's a natural assumption we make as humans. I heard about a study recently that was done that was uh, done with drivers. And it was so interesting that virtually everybody that was polled assumes that they are good drivers, not like the other idiots on the road. Now, I just want you to understand this is statistically impossible because if everybody was a good driver, there'd be no accidents, there'd be no tickets, right? We'd have no problems on the road and we know that's not true. But I want you to understand that we can't assume that we are the good soil. In fact, in America, in, in sort of just a general kind of a statement, in American Christianity, it seems likely to me that we are the soil that also has thorns growing in it at, at, at the same time. And these thorns are the things that distract us from God and his, our relationship with God and the life that God wants us to live. And, and we want God, yeah, but then we've got all of this other stuff going on in our lives as well. Our lives are full and overfull. Our schedules are filled and overfilled. And we've got, you know, we've got work and we've got hobbies and we've got Netflix and we've got kids and we've got sporting events and music events and we've got, you know, all of this other stuff, not to mention the stuff that we're trying to keep under under control, you know, these, these, you know, addictions and medications and all this stuff that we're going after to try to find life because we're feeling so overwhelmed and exhausted and, and our lives are getting crowded with thorns. And so I want you to understand, Francis Chan says this, a lot of things are good by themselves, but all of it together keeps us from living healthy, fruitful lives for God. Okay, team. That is the parable of the soils. And I'm sure if you've heard it before, I'm sure if you've been in church for a while, you know what the application is. It's pretty simple. Jesus is saying, look, there are some, some hearts out there, some kind of types of hearts. And the one heart, this is, this is the hard footpath heart. And, and, and you know, God's love and grace, it doesn't penetrate. And, and you might be like that. Or this is, is the rocky, sort of shallow heart. And you receive with joy, but the roots don't go deep. And, and maybe your heart's like that. Or, or this is, you know, th this is the thorny heart. And it's, and it's getting crowded out with all this other stuff. And maybe that's where your heart is as well. And then this is the fertile heart, right? The heart that's receptive and, and, and open and, and ready and willing to grow deep and, and to, you know, grow tall and, and to have this huge bounty for the kingdom. This is the bumper crop for God's kingdom. And, and the challenge for us, the application is this, understand where our hearts are today. And then we come before Jesus and we do business with God and we do everything we can to get our hearts into this fertile place, into this receptive place. We want to be the people who want the life that God wants for us. And so that's the work. That's what we do. That's the parable of the soil. We want to be a part of the, the, the bumper crop for God's kingdom. That's our goal. Amen. Like that's the application of the parable of the soils, but there's more. And so now let's shift our attention and let's take a look at the parable of the sower same parable, just different perspective, because the parable of the sower asks the question, what do we know about the sower? What do we know about the one who sows? And the meaning through this lens, we largely miss. 
And the reason is because we are not that familiar with how agrarian society works. At least most of us aren't. Again, with the exception of our Sandy campus led by Farmer Bryce. But the idea of sowing and reaping in a pre-mechanized society, we just miss it. And this is what the hearers would have picked up instantly. And so let me tell you the story of the sower. It's really simple. A farmer goes out to plant seed and he scatters some seed on a hard path and he scatters some seed on the rocky soil and he scatters some seed among the thorns and he scatters seed among the good soil. So what do we know about the sower? Well, the sower sows, period. You could almost even say by definition, he is the sower because he is sowing. He is sowing because he is the sower, but that's still not enough. So listen, Uh, because we don't know farming, we don't know how it's always been. Seed has always been too precious just to throw around. Too precious to throw away, too precious to waste. For these last 10 years of a ministry that I was involved in in Seattle, we, were, um, we supported and facilitated a, a farming co-op, several farming co-ops in Kenya. And part of what we did is we went in and we helped facilitate fresh well water digs and we helped uh, do agricultural training and composting and seed distribution. And we developed over the course of 10 years, all kinds of training, class after class after class, training after training after training. And I wanna tell you one thing that we never ever taught, it was never taught even once. Are you ready for this? We never said, hey, just throw your seed wherever. We, we never said, hey, throw your seed on the road. Throw your seed in the thorns. Throw your seed among the rocks. Like, like, it really doesn't matter. Just throw it. where We never taught that. Why? Because it doesn't make any sense. You see, the idea is Jesus is telling a story in this unique way to illustrate a unique point, a point that would have been immediately available to the hearers in the first century. They would have picked up immediately because they would have said, wait, what's... What's going on with the sower? You see, a a frugal farmer scratching out a living from the soil in a world of scarcity would carefully sow only on the soil he knew would be receptive, only on the soil that he knew would yield a harvest. It was sheer economics. Friends, this was providing for his family. This was a matter of survival. But this sower... The sower in this story that Jesus is telling, representing the heart of God, sows here, there, and everywhere. He's sowing on the path, and he's sowing in the rocks, and he's sowing among the thorns. And what's going on with the sower? Friends, it's it's the heart of God. And and the Lord is saying, look, I, I know these hearts are hard, and yet the Lord loves them and wants them in, and he wants them to receive the good news of his love of abundant and eternal life that's available even for them if if they would be willing. And then for these over here, he knows these hearts will be tempted, and yet he loves them and he wants them in. He wants them to know that temptation doesn't have to have the last word, that grace and forgiveness can be the last word if they will just have the ears to listen and to understand. And these over here, he knows that these hearts will be distracted, and yet he loves them and he wants them in. 
He wants them to be reminded that there is this one true, awesome focal point, and that's seeking first his kingdom. And when we seek first his kingdom, all the rest will be added in. You see, the sower sows joyfully here, there, and everywhere because he is in step with the heart of our heavenly father, in joyful step with the heart of the Holy Spirit, in line with the will of our Lord Jesus Christ, who says, go into all the world. You see, this is the lavish, radical, unconditional, everlasting, almost too good to believe at heart of our generous and gracious God. And friends, it's the reason it's called gospel, because it truly is good news of great joy, which will be for all people. You see, the sower is saying that God loves you. He loves all of you. And he wants you in. He wants all of you in. And this is true. Whether you live there or you live there, whether you live beyond that border or within that border, whether you, you look like this or you look like this, or your faith background's like this, or it's like this, or it's like none of the above, that God is joyfully, hopefully sowing the seed of his grace and his love and his mercy for those who have ears to hear and to listen and to understand the invitation is on the table. Wow. That's why it's called amazing grace. And there's, there's more. You see, the point of both the soils and the sower, no matter how you look at this parable, the point is that you and I might become sowers ourselves that we might join in with the heart of God in sowing the seeds of his word and his love and his grace and his salvation. You see, regardless of whether we identify more with the soils or the sower, the parable points us to become sowers ourselves. It's how the harvest is multiplied. It's how the hundredfold yield can be brought in. It's to join the sower in sharing our stories of God's love and grace, how his word has entered into and transformed our lives. Friends, if you're a Jesus follower, then you are a part of this harvest party. You see, he talks about in the parable and the role is that we would become sowers ourselves, scattering the seeds of God's love, his grace, and his word. And the best way that we can possibly do that is to tell the story of how his presence has impacted and totally transformed our lives. There's a quote from Jeff Goins who says, whether we realize it or not, we are storytellers, all storytellers. With the lives we are living and the risk we are or aren't taking, we are crafting a narrative for eternity. For those who would dare to live differently, The road before us is not the path of least resistance. No, it's scary and costly, full of unexpected twists and turns. But on this jagged journey, we find the one thing we are searching for, meaning. You know that God is telling a story. He's telling a story of redemption throughout the Bible and throughout history and throughout each and every one of our stories as well. As we join him, we discover and live lives of meaning. This is how we live our kingdom purpose. 
an abundant life, I want you to know that the cross is, of course, the most complete example of his redemption story. It's the most beautiful, bleak, powerful, heart-wrenching, liberating, and empowering example of God's redemptive story there is. And that is where we are marching together. You know, when Jesus told his stories, when he told his parables, he had his sights set on Jerusalem. He knew where this story was going. He knew how the story was going to culminate and end. That's the greatest redemption story the world has ever known. And that's what we celebrate together on Easter. So Abundant Life, I want to encourage you, please plan on joining us with your family. Plan on bringing some friends into the conversation and, and allowing your story to impact theirs. Bring them with you uh, to one of our physical campuses or to join us online. But together, friends, let us celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ together. Why don't you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Jesus, we absolutely love you. We love you for the stories that you tell. We love you for the way that you invite us into not only the stories you tell, but into your story, into this redemptive story that finds its absolute culmination, the pinnacle of your redemption story on the cross of Calvary in the empty tomb in the reality of your resurrection. And so, Jesus, I ask right now that you would allow us to do the hard work we need to do as we evaluate where our hearts are, as we evaluate what it is that, that we need to deal with, what business we need to do with you. We come humbly before you today. We ask that, that you would show us what we need to do to move our hearts. If they're hard, we, we want them to be softened. If there's rocks and there's shallowness, Lord, we want to be deepened. And if there are thorns and, and there are distractions and we're being crowded out from our faith, Jesus, we, we want that to be eliminated and removed because we want to be the fertile soil. We want to be a part of your harvest party for the kingdom of God. And Jesus, we ask that you would allow us to live this week with the heart of the sower. You'd allow us to live this week knowing that every single person we see, every person we pass, everybody that we interact with, that they are loved by you. And so let our story impact them. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.